Live Life Better, brought to you by Virgin and Penguin Living. I'm Melissa Hemsley, and I am amazed to say that this is the very final episode of this season. Thank you very much for tuning in and listening and commenting, reviewing to all of our podcasts so far. We've had episodes on self-care, healthy habits, overcoming hardship, resilience, empathy, relationships, fertility, and sleep. This week, we're leaving you with one last critical tool for your Live Life Better kit. That is mental and physical fitness. Well-being and health are major interests of mine, and I'm so excited to say that today I'm joined by two fantastic guests who are experts on staying fit, all for their mind, body, and soul. Firstly, I'm delighted to welcome William Pullen, a psychotherapist and pioneer of mindful running. His new book, Run For Your Life, shows us how running with purpose can be used to work through life's challenges and confront inner demons. Hello, William. Hello. Thank you for being here. And joining William and us today is the champion tennis player, Scottish national coach, campaigner, Strictly Come Dancing star, and mum of two incredible sportsmen, Andy and Jamie. It is Judy Murray. Hello. Judy has got her autobiography out, Knowing the Score, My Family and Our Tennis Story. And it is such a bestseller that the paperback is out May the 10th. In it, she reveals how determination, discipline and resilience took her family from the Scottish heartlands to Wimbledon Centre Court and beyond. Thank you for being here, Judy. Thank you for having me. So let's crack on. I really want to focus today on your expertise, physical fitness and also how that links to our mental well-being. So to start with, Judy, how important is sports and daily movement to you? Well, sport's been a huge part of my life. I think my parents were both very sporty. My dad had been a, a footballer um, in the days before football became as so pro so professional, but he, he played for a number of the top Scottish clubs. But my parents both played a lot of tennis, badminton. And so when I was young and my brothers, uh, of course, I have two younger brothers, we were brought up in an environment where our parents played everything and anything with us. You know, the back garden had homemade football goals. We played badminton over the washing line. We had little kind of homemade cricket stumps and all the rest of it. And when I was about 10, my parents made a decision to move me from Dumbling Primary School up to Morrison's Academy, which was a, more of a, a, an independent school, but where the sport offering was just much, much greater than at any of the, the state schools. And, and that, of course, still is, is the case. So for me, I think for most of my life, I, th I thought I was going to be a PE teacher or a top tennis player. Far more chance of being a, a, a PE teacher. But, um, yeah, brought up in a very sporty family. And then, of course, when I had my kids, second nature to me to want them to enjoy sports like I did. Mm. So I did kind of the same things with them as my parents did with me. Yeah, it's second nature for you. And for you, William, do you run every day, don't you, by the by the serpentine? Have you, have you been following me? Uh, <laughs> I wouldn't say every day, but most days I do, yeah. And mostly it is the serpentine. Uh, yeah, no, it keeps me sane. It's how I came to this line of work. I'm, I'm a huge believer in, as I'm sure you are, Judy, it's not just what you get out of it physically, it's what you get out of it mentally, including that kind of the stamina, the focus, the direction, the sense of control and empowerment in your life. You know, you're, you're out there doing things, so... If depression is about powerlessness, then anything you do uh, that makes you feel empowered is, is going to be good news. Mm, I feel the same. I Sometimes I um, I think to myself, or I used to, I'll, 
I'll I'll move or I'll exercise when I'm in the mood for it. But actually, I realise how much it affects my moods and how positive, what a positive impact it has on it. So mm. even on those days, like, could it be more grey and drizzly today? Get out there. I know I feel better from it. William, will you read a little passage from Run For Your Life? That's your book. I really like this bit and it describes how running with your friend became an unexpected vehicle for therapy. Have a little read for me. Where had this man come from who had so much to say about life, who longed to hear the struggles of another, who felt so comfortable in the midst of so much intimacy? I looked forward to these runs where honesty came so easily and being able to express myself and be heard felt both liberating and healing but I also felt empowerment. I was the captain of my ship, actively steering a course to wellness. Brilliant. Thank you. I love that bit, and I love that feeling that you say is, I'm the captain. You know, we are, we are completely in control, and the way we feel is down to us. Could you talk us through more about DRT, that is Dynamic Running Therapy? How did it click with you, and how could, if we're interested, how can we start making it a, a part of our lives? Dynamic running therapy is the kind of running therapy I developed uh, 11 years ago. It's a process I use with my clients. In my book, I describe how people can use it with themselves or with each other. Uh, and there are chapters on conditions like depression, anxiety, anger, etc. But it's fundamentally a way of, of using uh, the body to help you understand what's going on in your life so that I've found that I can manage my emotions while I'm feeling emotional. Like if I'm out on a run and I'm thinking about something that I find uh, makes me angry or sad or whatever, if I speed up or slow down, it can help me get in touch with it or can make me burn through it or I can use the body to address my feelings. So really, it's all based on that. Mm. It's, um, it's using the body as a sort of feedback loop so that you can better understand. A lot of people, they find it hard to understand what's really going on inside or they have reservations about getting in touch. If you do it while you're running, uh, it comes up more easily, I find, and it feels less threatening. It feels like it has its correct place uh, as part of your journey, and we are journey men and women at the mm. end of the day, or we should be when we're stuck in our offices. We're, we're most definitely not, which is when we become anxious and so forth. I love it. So it's like running with a sense of purpose and then transferring that achievement to daily life as well. Yeah. Judy, do you like to run? I can't say that I do. I find <laughs> running... your least favourite. Yeah, I find it really boring. Yeah. Um, I think, I, I mean, I've always loved sport and I've always loved being active, but there's always been, for me, like a purpose or a tactic. It's, you know, it's, it's, it's a game. So I find running really boring. But interestingly, I started to have these dreams fairly regularly. Don't judge me. <laughs> um, where I couldn't run. You know, I was, trying to, I was trying to run yeah. and I wasn't moving. And it made me panic about, yeah. is, it trying, is my body trying to tell me something? Almost like if you don't use it in that way. I mean, I'm, I'm very active, but I'm not running around a lot. I, yeah. I'm always on the go, um, which is probably why I keep in shape. And it's probably also why many people look at me and I, I usually have my tracksuit on or something, and they'll think I'm fit. I'm not that fit. I just look like I'm fit. So I started going to the on the treadmill and I was like, oh, this is so dull. And then I discovered these programs on the 
you know, on this sort of TV screen of it, where you can put the, the things on and I'm running round vineyards or champagne trails or, or up mountains wow. and things. And and the thing, um, the earphones are telling you the story of, or the history or the geography of where you are. And well, that's I'm thinking, so interesting. this is brilliant because yeah. it's completely taking my mind off the, I am just running for 15 minutes because I'm trying to be a little bit fitter. I'm actually learning stuff and I feel like I'm on this walk or this run or walking up this mountain. Fantastic. Fantastic. That is a really great Made way. Made a huge difference to me wanting to do it. Yeah, uh, keeping the motivation technique, going. I think. But I think that's a really good point because I would say the same as you is I have I have run on on and off my whole life, um, often because it is the simplest way to. If you have twenty minutes, it's the simplest way to get outside. So it's very interesting. When I started looking at your book, I was thinking, will this be the book that changes the way I feel about running? And actually, what you're saying is, is it is a just it's not. It's not the run, it's you working on yourself in the best possible way as you move, isn't it? Could you apply this to other things? So if you don't always get a chance to run because you can't get outside, could it be something else? Swim for your life. Swim for, is that <coughs> the next book? <laughs> no, it's not. Um, I suppose if you could find the right sport, but I mean, I don't think anything would, would work better than running. Yeah. Uh, apart from else, you can run with other people, which I'm a big fan of, for exactly the reasons you said, Judy. I find running boring too. I like to run with people. Mm -hmm. I like that engagement. Uh, or if it's a day that I'm overwhelmed with thoughts and I need to process something, that can be okay. But if you just send me out there, you know, with just me, I, I, I don't want to be confronted with me in that sense. I find it boring. <laughs> That's why you see so many more running groups now. Yes. People that go out and you can go at your own pace. That's the other thing I, I like about running for the masses is you don't really need anything other than a pair of flat soled shoes. Exactly. And also, you know how you said you found the programme where you can run through a vineyard. I know in London especially you can go on like London guided tours of London monuments, Not, but go on a run around it, which is, actually sounds really fun. Yeah, and I'm going to try that. Haven't tried it. There are cities now. There are running tours of almost every city in the world, which is fantastic. Yeah. If you're spending the weekend in Berlin on a business trip or something, you you organise with them, and you've mm. got people to run with, and you've got the education distraction that we're talking about. So brilliant. Absolutely. So if people buy your book, William, they listen to this and they say, "Okay, I'm going to go outside right now." What what do you advise? Because you have a series of exercises in here and you've got space to write, to jot down notes, haven't yeah. you? Which I always really like. I like an interactive book. How should they start? Your, what's your one piece of advice for just starting to run? The first, the first thought process they should have is they literally walk out the door and set off. Well, not to think about the end goal, which is whatever it may be, fitness, liberation, happiness, or, or, or the Paris Marathon, to begin with just to say, well, let me just take this first step. And if I take this one, let me I'll then take another one and I'll see where I end up. Because the journey is not often where we think. The destination is often quite different from where we think it's going to be. The important thing is just to get going and enjoy that process of, of getting going. Mm. So I would say just get started and see where it takes you. Mm. You know, you may find yourself working around the book in a way that uh, is quite unexpected to you. But I, I just wanted to mention something quickly called um, Empathy Runs that's, that's in there. Because for people that haven't run before, I'd say get a buddy and, and go off and do what I call Empathy Runs, which really works well. So the two of you go running, one shares for 10 minutes about whatever, the other one listens. There's no interrupting. You're not their therapist. You're not there to encourage them. You're not there to do anything. But if you like, witness and acknowledge their journey. 
So you just say, oh, yes, oh, yeah. and you run for 10 minutes. At the end of it, you say, oh, uh, I heard you say that you're all excited about this. Uh, and so there's a little synopsis, and then you change roles. And now I'm the one doing all the talking, you're the one doing the listening, and then I reflect to it. I back love again. that. And it's, it's an amazing so process. Um, it's so rare that we get a chance to be listened to mm -hmm. uninterrupted for 10 minutes, isn't it? You know, therapy is such an interesting word because I, I've been to see various types of, of therapists over the years. And when I tell my friends about it, they sort of say, but, you know, there's all this sort of um, familiar and obvious questions that come up. And what I like about you calling it therapy here is you just said that um, with the empathy run, your friend listens. They're not judging. They're not necessarily giving advice. It's just the listening. And as you said, Judy, just now it's the offloading. It is so nice sometimes to just speak isn't it? Mm. And I think also in this day and age of social media where everything is summed up in so few characters and we don't have time to pick up the phone anymore. My 2018 resolution was to call my friends more, not message them. Mm. How nice to speak for 10 minutes. And also, um, because you're running, you don't have to look at each other, right? So you can not necessarily, you don't have to feel the eyes on you. You can run ahead and, and speak. I love that. Yeah. And Judy, tell us about mindfulness in the sports that you like and your thoughts on sport as a therapy as well as a, a great way to boost your physical well-being, you know, sports for your mind, essentially. Well, I think, the you know, the whole thing with exercise for me is it's a huge thing it's yeah of course it's the physical activity for me is a lot is the fresh air it's being out in the fresh air we're so sedentary and so much of what we do and so much of our life is spent in front of sc a screen of, of some sort or another and this whole interaction communication etc for me sports it, it develops so many life skills not just the physical skills but that whole getting out especially if you play in a team sport you know and you're having to manage a team and you're having to understand everybody's role within within the team and you're also having to think tactically positionally about what you're doing to try to get the better of what it, whatever the opposition is so that's always been like a huge part of my life and has always kept my mind very active whether I'm playing a sport or whether I'm watching it I've spent most of my life analysing Andy and Jamie's opposition from when they were little, you know, because you're trying to devise the tactical plan. So even if you're sitting watching, your mind is very active. But I think that, you know, there's so much for me out of sport. I mean, I think resilience is a huge thing. It Actually, in my whole, my whole family, we're all incredibly resilient and you have to be that way in sport. But um, Well, actually, at any level of sport, but in professional sport, when it's your career, you have to learn, of course, how to deal with winning and losing. Mm -hmm. you, you have to, And you have to be able to move on from disappointments very, very quickly. So I think, um, you know, and if, if I look at the, the world now and the current generation, you know, this snowflake generation that they're all talking about where kids are very, very much more protective than we ever were. And these resilience skills, you don't have quite the same opportunity to develop them, in, in my opinion. So um, for me, sport is a really important part of developing mindfulness. Mm. I do think that another thing that kids get when they go out and do their sports is they learn resiliency because they say, well, I may not be very good at my homework uh, and I'm slightly awkward, but I can run faster uh, in colder weather. I will play harder. I will tackle harder than anybody out here. And in that moment, they learn actually there is some part of me which is not just as strong as anybody else, but stronger. And if they focus on that, that can take them to stratospheric heights. 
I wanted to just say about your your amazing initiatives, She Rallies and Miss Hits. Obviously, you're you're revolutionary in the game of tennis, um, not only tennis for Scotland, but also for women in tennis and women in sport generally. Um, Women's sports makes up, I can't believe this, just 7% of all sports media coverage in the UK. Is that true? <clears throat> and that's higher than it was maybe four or five years ago, much higher than it was. I think the, the last few years there's been a real groundswell around women's sport and I think the performances in particular of the national teams in hockey, football, rugby, cricket, you know, world-class performances make it infinitely more watchable, more sellable, more marketable and this is only going to help because the more that young girls can see women's sport, the more chance they have of believing that they could do it. But also, that I want to be part of that. I want to be, you know, because girls love being with their friends. They love being part of teams. So that's why I think team sport is, is so important. And, um, you know, for me, is a, a big thing, the whole encouraging women, you've got to be able to see it to have any chance to think you can be mm. it. Um, but for me, it's the investment in the performance is what comes first. Make it watchable, make it good enough, and then it will it will springboard. And, and that's what's starting to happen. It's still tiny, but it's much, that's much bigger than it was four or five years ago. Yeah. So, Judy, you're going to read this bit to us now. This is your tenacity in the face of blatant gender discrimination. It's inspiring. One of the male coaches had issued a formal complaint about me getting on the course instead of him. He said, what could I, a woman with young children, possibly offer to performance coaching? Well, maybe this guy wanted to belittle me in the hope that I would quit, but he didn't. Instead, he just made me angry, angry and determined. And instead of being the first step towards crushing me, it served as rocket fuel for my resolution to be treated equally. Fantastic. That makes my blood boil. I actually <laughs> shivered when you were reading that bit. And, Judy, you said your parents were active with you all the time. You're a resilient family. I mean, I, I can't imagine you ever giving up, but at points, where did it come from, your strength, to just say no and not this time and not me and never again? I'm one of those people, if you tell me I can't do something, I will go out of my way to prove you wrong. And on that, that course that I was talking about there, it was the LTA's Performance Coach Award. It was the very first year of it. It was a brand new course and it was the top award in tennis coaching at the time. It was 1994, years ago. And I was I was a young mum and I was a volunteer at our local club. It was a huge thing for me to take on because it was a one-year-long course. And I applied for a place on it, not thinking that I would get one. There were 20 places, 18 men, two women. And it was a big commitment in time and money coming from Scotland. And I got down there and I was the only person who wasn't a full-time tennis coach. There were a lot of heavyweight guys there, uh, former players, coaches at huge clubs, which we don't have any of in Scotland. And I felt completely in the minority and out of my depth. And then when one of the tutors said to me that I was lucky to get a place on the course because they'd had to turn a lot of guys down, I was immediately thinking, oh, maybe I should just go home now. And I, I really let it bother me for about an hour. And then I went into my sort of, no, I'm going to do this. And um, But it, it, it was a real eye-opener to me. It was my first sort of brush with any kind of sexism because having worked in Scotland where there were no tennis coaches, I was never stepping on anybody's toes. I was just doing my own thing and nobody else was doing it. So I never felt it. But as soon as you start to climb the ladder in sport, it's a very male dominated world and you have to be really thick skinned and really resilient to mm. survive in it. Mm. And watch out for each other, as you say, watch out for, for the other women. Um, 
that's amazing. Uh, I can't believe that. So that's 1994, you say, 30 years ago. And I love how you said, I let it bother me for about an hour. (laughs) And that's it. He had your time for an hour. We're going to move on to another wonderful woman, Ruby Wax. I want to explore the link between body and mind through another perspective now. Comedian Ruby Wax is someone you might be familiar with on the topic of mental health. Her second book, How to Be Human, a manual, explores a relationship which continues to puzzle us all, that of mind, body and brain. Ruby makes the case that the mental and physical stresses of the body and brain are all mixed up into one, and that mindfulness holds the key to physical and emotional contentment. In this excerpt, Ruby, along with the monk Gelong Tubton and neuroscientist Ash Ranpura, discuss the body. Chapter 4. The Body. The Monk, the Neuroscientist and Me. Ash, I want to know how the body and mind are really connected. Is there some kind of spider's web made out of neurons from the head all the way to the toes? Yeah, a spider's web is a great analogy. I mean, when an insect gets trapped anywhere in the spider's web, every single strand of the web vibrates. So the spider can feel that vibration from any point on its web. The brain and the body are like that. They're totally interconnected, a single system. Anything that affects one part affects the whole system, so it all vibrates together. Okay, just explain to me, when you stub your toe, how does your brain find out? Right, so when you stub your toe, you activate these pain-sensing neurons called A-delta fibers. Those send electrical signals up through the spinal cord and into the brain, but that itself isn't pain. The brain responds to those signals with a network of areas, like the somatosensory cortex, the insular cortex, and the anterior cingulate cortex. Those areas generate feelings of shock, threat, and suffering, and it's those feelings that make up pain. And we talked about that before in the chapter on thoughts, the gap between perception and reaction before you start judging the signals. And this becomes interesting when working with pain. When you realize pain is an emotional reaction, not just a physical one, you can do something about it. Yeah, that's a key point about pain. I totally agree. Okay, I understand physical pain, but how do you deal with emotional pain? If you're scared, how does your body react? Well, fear gives you an adrenaline surge. Your muscles tense up, your digestion shuts down, and you're ready to fight or run. But if you unclench your fists, drop your shoulders, and slow down your breathing, you'll feel a little bit less scared. The body and the emotion are one and the same. I mean, in fact, Darwin used the word attitude to describe how animals hold their bodies. So an animal could be in a defensive posture or an aggressive one or an approachable one. And Darwin thought that the posture itself was the emotion, not an expression of the emotion. So it's a two-way street. Changing your emotions changes your body posture, but changing your body posture changes your emotions. So if I was hunching my back and baring my teeth, could I still like you? Yeah, but when you fake a body posture like that, it won't feel natural. So hunching your back and baring your teeth makes you more likely to be aggressive. But it isn't a guarantee. And our body never lies. Our mind can play all kinds of avoidance tricks on us, but the body always lets us know how we feel. And I think it's really important to listen to that. For example, sickness is a kind of messenger. It could be a wake-up call to get us to see what's really going on with our minds. Okay. You know, Ash, I always wanted to know, if you had a brain in a jar, could it feel emotions? No, I don't think so. I mean, the brain needs the body to function, and the body needs the brain. It's a single system. Okay, but if I put your brain in a jar and I sold it, would you be pissed off? I mean, I would understand. You know, I had the same idea for your brain. It's actually my retirement plan. Yeah, in your dreams. All right, I want to discuss exercise. Okay, I want to know why people are now beating themselves up for a six-pack, screaming like they're in childbirth for a couple of bulges. 
I mean, do you need a six-pack to sit behind a desk? I understand if your job was to lift the desk, but having a six-pack, does it improve your health? Yeah. I mean, there's no question that any exercise is good for cardiovascular health, and that's also going to be helpful for brain function. But, you know, people go to the gym, and while they're there, they watch TV or listen to headphones. They go there to tune out so they don't have to think. That's very different from yoga or tai chi or most of the martial arts practices. Those put a lot of emphasis on mental focus. So I think developing an awareness of your body and how it moves is more important for health and maybe even for strength than mindlessly pumping up your muscles. Exactly. We could be totally distracted in the gym, running on the treadmill and running away from our minds. Anyway, the idea of what's considered attractive changes with history and culture. Ages ago, and also nowadays in some parts of the world, being a bit fat was even seen as a sign of happiness and success. And if you were skinny, it meant you were kind of miserable. And now in the West, people are torturing themselves to achieve the ultimate thigh gap. What do you think a thigh gap is, Tupton? I don't know. I've always wanted to know what a thigh gap yeah. is. But well, everyone, why, did, why did you say it? Because everyone wants one. Okay. <laughs> you read that somewhere. Somewhere I've heard right. that a thigh gap. Tupton, you go for the thigh gap, okay, and call us. My mother always said, for beauty, you have to suffer. That's why she put me in braces for 47 years. Yeah, but I mean, but if the goal isn't just beauty, but a healthy life and an active old age, then bulking up without focusing on movement is a mistake. I mean, men may go for big chest muscles, but if they don't develop strong legs and core muscles to support the weight, then they risk injury. So someone who has good flexibility and core strength may not look big, but they will actually be more fit. So that leads to healthier aging, fewer falls, more independence, and less cognitive decline. What about those people who can't stop pumping? Years ago, I remember reading an article about Demi Moore, which said that she gets up at 4 a.m. and does sit-ups constantly until Where breakfast. Where did you read about Demi Moore? I don't remember, but I remember yes. me and the other monks were horrified, and yeah. we said, well, if she'd spend half that time meditating... She'd be enlightened by now. And while we're on Demi... Ask the monks, where, where is she now? Look, I do think exercise is important, but there's so much focus on how we look instead of what's inside. Yeah, and you don't win any gold medals for inner peace. Well, sometimes when I explain mindfulness, people who do a lot of sports and fitness training, they come to the class and they say, well, we can get the same thing on the treadmill, so why would we need to meditate? And then I say to them, well, you can't run all day, and, or when your boss is yelling at you, are you going to drag a treadmill into the room? So if you're training your mind through mindfulness, you're learning how to lower your stress whatever situation you're in. You don't always need to be at the gym. Exercise doesn't really train the mind. Of course, it helps you feel less stressed, but only while you're doing it and for a short time after, but it's not a long-term thing. But, they, you know, we said we, they can do both at the same time if they do mindful movements. Exactly. There are methods where you can use the body to train your mind. So you're getting enlightenment and a tight tush. Ha-ha, Demi! Who's laughing now? You're listening to the Live Life Better podcast from Virgin and Penguin Living. We've just heard a fantastic passage from Ruby's new book, How to Be Human, which is out now. I highly recommend it. It is brilliant. I'm back in the studio now with William Pullen and Judy Murray. So, Judy and William, within the context just now of the monk's statement that the body never lies, our mind can always play all kinds of avoidance tricks on us. I just want to chat about that. Which do you trust more, the body or the mind? I don't know. I can't say I've ever really thought about that. I mean, I really believe that the mind is a powerful thing, but I also believe that it's up to me to control 
my mind. It's like if I'm feeling a bit off or a bit down, I never feel sorry for myself for very long because I just talk myself out of it. So maybe the mind is <laughs> maybe the mind is the more powerful thing. But I think you know when I was talking earlier about this dream of not being able to run, I wondered if it was linked to me getting older and the fact that I don't run around. I don't play tennis. I am always active, but I don't play tennis the way that I used to. And is it me thinking, my body's always worked so actively, I'm getting older. I would hate to be in a position where I can't run. So therefore, if you don't use it, you lose it. And that is probably, I think, what made me get out and start running. But the dream is a mind thing, isn't it? So I don't know. What do you think? Fascinating. Uh, (laughs) I'm really not sure either. All I know is is that they work together, Mm. that like you, I recognize that what the Buddhists call the second arrow, that I am subject to a second arrow. First there's the event and then there's how I feel about it. And then there's what I do with that and recognizing that I have an option to either indulge those feelings uh, or address them uh, is, is really important. And I think actually I do have something important to say here because I think psychotherapy is really is all about saying to people, look, I hear what you're talking about here. Together we'll gain a better understanding of it and you'll see that there's somebody here that wants to know and hear and is interested. In it. So, so you get all of that. But then there comes a point where, which is the question, well, f- you may need to actually do something about this. We've got a lot of understanding. What are you going to do? And it's that managing your emotions, managing your feelings, instead of being victim to them and indulging them. That's where strength is developed. That's back to our resilience word. Uh, so I, yeah, I think there's a place to feel those feelings and say, yes, you know, I, I'm, I'm having a feeling here, and, and let me acknowledge that. I'm not sure about myself right now. I, that may even blow up into a crisis of confidence for now. I'm really not sure about myself. Okay, well, I've done that now, and I know I'm inclined to do that. Let me move on. Like you said, I'll do it for an hour, but then I'm going to go out and get this taken yes, care of. Yeah. Yes, yeah. and I think something that we've all touched on here and that I'm doing more and more is, you said it just there, is I think we need to be our own personal coaches and personal cheerleaders. Mm. And it's so important to talk to ourselves to say, that was hard, now on to the next, or you you dealt with that well. I think also paying compliments to yourself is such an important one. I've started to do that now. So, you know, maybe when we leave the podcast today, I'll say to myself, Go on, Melissa, that was, that was pretty good today. You had a good time, that was good. And actually acknowledge the good times so that when there's a bad moment, you feel familiar with cheerleading yourself and, and being kind. On that note, sadly, we're coming towards the end of the show. We, we don't have much time, but I wanted to give the listeners a few more takeaway tips. What else could we give as tips? It's spring now, no better time to be outside. William, you kick it off. What could people do if they think to themselves, I just can't do it today? What could be a great thing they could do to just start today? Well, I, I'd like the takeaway word to be acknowledgement. Um, to acknowledge something is to say that not just that I see it, but that I recognize that it's mine and that it has a right to exist. So when you are thinking to yourself, well, I don't want to go for a run. I'm scared of running. I hate running. It's cold. It's boring. I'm not a runner. I can't do this. Acknowledge that. Say, look, I, this is happening for me. That's okay. There's another part of me that actually wants to get out. So let me acknowledge both parts and now let me act in the way that I want to. Love that. 
And then always know that there's a nice cup of tea when you get back in from the run. Absolutely. <laughs> and Judy, what would be your tips or, or how would you motivate, you know, you're an amazing coach. What's what's one great motivational tip you could share with us all that we could remember as our Judy tip? For me, it's a lot about doing what you can do. I think with something like fitness, you know, when people say they think, oh, I need to get fit or I need to lose weight, it sounds like it's going to be painful and torture. And it's not about lycra and sweat and going to the gym. Actually, if you don't feel you can go out for a run or it's snowing or something like that, you can run on the spot in the kitchen. I'm, I'm a great multitasker. If you have steps in your house, you can step up and down. You can do it for 10 seconds or 30 seconds or a minute. You do whatever you do. But the next day, you do just a little bit more and a little bit more. And you build up gradually because I, I think there is a danger of looking too much too far ahead. I need to lose a stone or I want to be able to run for half an hour. No, I don't. Uh, maybe I want to lose a pound because that's doable. And then you go on to the next bit. Or I want to be able to go out and run for half an hour. OK, I'm going to skip for one minute. And maybe ten, maybe an hour later, I'm going to do another minute. I, I'm very good at doing 10-minute things, but doing them in one-minute chunks mm. and just fitting it in when I can. Yeah. Stirring a pot and doing heel raises, you know, up and down on my toes. Judy, I do that. It's great, isn't I it? I do it also. Um, it's a woman thing. It's multitasking. Yeah, exactly, because I was about to say also, what do I do? When I've got my conditioner on in the shower, I'll do a few, I'll do a few squats. Someone taught me that. Have Love you ever it. done that, Judy? No, I can't say I have, but I might now. <laughs> <laughs> Squats while you condition your hair. Um, I love it. And also what I like is everything we've just talked about is free, isn't it? You yes. don't need anything. It's all free. I'm so sad, but that's all we've got time for today. I hope you all feel as invigorated as I do to get outside. It's time to roll out the yoga mat, get the skipping ropes out, or dust off those running shoes, or just do some heel raises. Um, get outside, discover or rediscover and try and exercise as a family or take someone you love along with you for a run. Thank you, everybody. Thank you, William. Thank you, Judy. Um, we have got William Pullen's Run For Your Life and How To Be Human by Ruby Wax. They're available in store or online right now. Judy Murray's Knowing The Score is coming out in paperback on May the 10th. You can find out more about the authors on this show over at virgin.com, plus more motivational podcasts and tips. We'd love to hear how this show has inspired you to live life better. So get involved with the conversation on Twitter at Penguin Living UK using the hashtag live life better. For more tips and recommendations from our experts, you can sign up to the Penguin Living newsletter on the Penguin Books website. Live Life Better is a Pixie production for Virgin and Penguin Living. We'll be back soon. From me, Melissa Hemsley, goodbye. So, you've got an idea for a business, the store of your dreams. There's just one thing to figure out, everything. That's why Shopify's all-in-one commerce platform makes it easy to sell online, in person, and everywhere else. Sell on social media, source products with an app to get that first sale feeling. It's the only solution that gives you everything you need to sell everywhere you want. So when you're ready to bring your idea to life, power it up with Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash listen. 